Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. So I sold everything here in Austin. I sold my house. I sold everything in the house, you know, the fixtures. I had like enough stuff to go in one self-storage. And me and my dog jumped in my truck and we headed out. And what we thought would be 30 weeks of just traveling around the country, speaking and, and talking to people and seeing baseball games turned into three and a half plus years of travel. most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to The Maverick Show. My guest today is Scott Carson, aka The Note Guy. He has been an active real estate investor since 2002 and has been solely focused on the distressed mortgage and note industry since 2008. For over a decade now, Scott has specialized in buying and selling non-performing mortgages directly from banks and hedge funds on properties all across the United States. Scott has purchased over half a billion dollars in distressed debt for his own portfolio, across 30 states. Scott is also the founder and CEO of WeCloseNotes.com, an Austin, Texas-based real estate firm that has helped thousands of other real estate investors make money buying and selling notes. Scott is the host of the popular podcast, The Note Closers Show. He is a highly sought-after speaker on distressed debt, marketing, and raising private capital. And he has been featured in Investor's Business Daily, The Wall Street Journal, and Inc.com. Now, Scott has built his businesses with a location-independent infrastructure so he can run them remotely as he designs his lifestyle around attending sporting events, concerts, and traveling the world. Scott, welcome to the show. Man, I am honored to be here, Matt. Thank you for having me, man. You know, we've been trying to put this interview together, I want to say, for about six months. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it started when you reached out to me uh, and said that you were a listener and fan of The Maverick Show. And uh, you and I started talking and corresponding and, and, and all that. And uh, I looked into what you did. You're in the real estate space. You travel, you, all this kind of stuff. I was like, man, you know, this guy sounds on paper like a perfect guest. And then... I was looking into what you were up to and the events you were going to, and you were going to an event with a very good friend of mine, Allie Boone. I knew she was going to the event. So I, I just sent her a private message. I was like, Allie, 
was like, check out this guy, Scott Carson, at the event. See if you can find him. He sounds really impressive on paper, but check him out. Make sure he's a cool dude. See if you think he'd be a good podcast guest. So she's like, all right, I'll look for him. So the first day that she's there, she messages me. She goes, dude. Get this guy on the show. He's freaking awesome. <laughs> so I was like, done. <laughs> so I reached back out to you and uh, and we were going to schedule the interview. And so I was like, man, you know, I, I love to try to do these interviews in person, you know, if possible. And uh, I, I saw that you were based in Austin. And I was like, man, I'm coming out to speak at the South by Southwest conference. And uh, you were like, dude, I'm organizing the podcasters meetup at the South by conference. I was like, this is perfect. So we were planning to do this over a bottle of wine in person uh, a few months ago. That didn't work out for our scheduling conflict. So today, we're finally putting it together. We're not in the same place. I am actually in West Africa recording this from Accra in Ghana. And you are where today? You in Austin? I am back home in Austin, Texas. Yes, sir. Awesome, man. Well, Scott, it's so good to have you on the show. And I'm glad we finally (laughs) put this together. So you also are in a really interesting space. You have a really interesting uh, entrepreneurial journey. And I want to just maybe start in the beginning and just get sort of your origin story about, you know, where you're from, where you grew up, and then how you got into the note space. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, kind of an interesting story. You know, I like many people when I went to school, actually, you know, played football in college for a couple of years and then got out and graduated with a, a marketing management and really had an entrepreneurship focus because my, my parents are both entrepreneurs. They owned the local hardware store in this little small town down in South Texas of like 3,500 people. And so I got out of that town as fast as I could, but moved to Austin after graduating here, started in the, uh, the finance industry, got into banking and Enjoyed that, but was starting to hit, you know, the glass ceiling that a lot of people do, you know, where you have to get permission to do everything. And I'm not whole ask for forgiveness versus permission kind of guy sometimes. And that didn't go well on the banking side. But I had a buddy of mine who I'd worked with before as a financial advisor, and he started a mortgage company here locally and uh, hooked up with a couple real estate investors that were traveling the country, speaking in all these different workshops and seminars. And I realized that's really the route that I wanted to go. So July 4th of 2004, I put my notice in at Chase Bank was where I was working at and have been in basically in the real estate space nonstop since. I mean, I I dabbled in real estate before that, but kind of lost my shirt by doing the the stupid things. But we started a mortgage company. My buddy Boyd traveled the country teaching all these investors about creative financing and then originating a lot of mortgages. And then everything came to a halt in 2008 when the the housing market crashed. The main that was a Behind us, and one of my other private investors had made a lot of money in the uh, savings and loan crisis back in the 80s, the RTC days. And they were like, Scott, this is the best time for to jump into this note game. It's the best time to be buying distressed debt because we've never seen a meltdown like this. So that's what I did. I, I jumped from the, the, the mortgage side into buying distressed debt instead of going to the banks and then originating loans for them. I was calling them to buy you know loans that people were defaulted on or upside down on and then picking up this debt at, at a fraction you know, pennies on the dollar and then becoming the bank and then trying to work out some sort of solution with the homeowners, trying to keep them in their house. And we buy debt, we become the bank, but instead of us looking to rehab the property, like we work to rehab the borrower. We want to try to keep them in their house if possible. Since we're buying the debt at such a substantial discount off of uh, what they owe and the value of the property, it gives me a lot of flexibility to create win-win scenarios, not only for us in good returns and high ROIs, but also uh, allow the borrower to stay in their house if they want to. Now, if they want to walk away, great, we, we'll let them walk away. But if they 
really want to stay in their house, we really work with them to get them back on the right track to home ownership. So can you give an example uh, in the most simplest form of how that would work just transactionally speaking? Who do you approach? What kind of, at the bank, for example, let's say, what kind of conversation do you have? What is the bank's incentive to sell to you? What is your you know, profit margin structure look like in terms of, you know, the risk that you take on versus the upside potential there for you and so forth. Just sort of like walk us through a transaction. A lot of uh, real estate investors are used to be on like postcards and yellow letters and door knocking. We don't do that stuff. We don't do that. We're buying all across the country. So our goal is to get into the banks. And so there's specific departments inside of the these different banks and hedge funds called the secondary marketing department or the special assets department. These are the guys and gals at the bank that have a couple of marbles in their head and they're looking at the bank's portfolio and they're trying to get rid of the bad debt off their books because it, it dramatically affects the bank's ability to, to um, leverage the, you know, their deposits if they've got bad loans. I mean, if they've got a, a $100,000 loan that's in default, it's really costing them closer to a million dollars in fees that they're charging in interest and other things that they can leverage against. So we reach out to these asset managers inside the banks and just say, hey, what do you have in your books? What are you looking to get rid of? And if you talk the walk, you pass a smell test, act like you know what you're doing. I mean, every I started off just you know dialing 50 to 100 banks a day until I built a good database. And these asset managers will send it over a spreadsheet to us. And it may have st- it may have one note, it may have a thousand defaulted loans, depending on where they're lending at and what kind of states they're lending at. So we'll see uh, spreadsheets, or as we like to call them, tapes with assets in 30, 40, 50 different states, and we can oftentimes cherry pick. Now, what we're looking for as an investor is, I like to look for stuff that has hair on it. You know, somebody's been behind, not just 90 days, but like maybe nine months, 12 months, three years. And the bank, depending on what state it's in, foreclosure timeframes will vary. Now, like in here in Texas, we can foreclose really quick in like, you know, 90 days. Florida may take a year. Illinois may take 18 months. So the bank is incentivized to move this debt off their books at a discount because they can get that money in now, go out and re-leverage it three, four, five times. It's called the velocity capital. It works well for me because I'll give you some basic numbers on a deal. Let's say we get a list in there as an asset, say here in, um, let's say it's in Tampa, Florida. It's worth 100000 The borrower may owe 120 grand on it. Either they're upside down or they got you know laid off from work. So they, there's rearages, back payments. So they're upside down. They haven't paid, say, in a year. Well, we'll come in often buy that note, buy that mortgage at like 50 cents on the dollar or less. All right. So at 50 cents on the of as is value, if it's worth 100, we'll, we'll pay 50 grand for that note. So that's well below 50% of what they're owed. And we like to target actually occupied assets where the homeowners are still in it because then they're keeping the property up. The air conditioner hasn't walked off on a walkabout. The copper goblins haven't showed up. <laughs> you know, it's, it's somebody's taking care of their property for the most part. So We'll buy that note, become the bank, and then reach out to the homeowner and say, okay, what happened? Give me your country western song, whatever your your excuse is, whatever it might be, and let's work to keep keep you in the house. And so if we're buying it at 50 grand, they still owe 120 grand. We've got a lot of flexibility there to either A, forgive debt, drop the interest rate down if it's a higher interest rate, do a trial payment plan. You know, we'll often forgive principal and uh, you know payments and things like that. So if I can get that bar to start paying their existing payment on time again, and they go on, you know, they pay for 12 months on time, I'll forgive the back payments because after 12 months of time, it's now considered a reperforming note. And if I bought it at 50, I could turn around and sell it on the market at 80 to 85 cents of the dollar and make a 30, 35% return just on that spread. And that doesn't include you know the, the 12 months of payments I got along the way as well. 
Now, what is the bank's incentive to sell that note and that example to you for 50000 as opposed to foreclosing on the house and trying to resell it for the market value of 100000 Okay. Banks are in the business of making loans. They're not in the business of owning property. Because if they've got to take the property back, they've got foreclosure costs, they've got legal tied up. It costs them two to three times the amount of what it would cost me to repair a property because they've got to go specifically with vendors. They're in the loan making business. So if they can get that 50 grand in now versus having to wait 18 months to take the property back, fix it up and then sell it, they can lend that 50 grand out five, six or seven times and make their money back. Got it. Okay. And then for you as the note investor, what is your downside risk in this process? How do you assess that? And then how do you mitigate that? So since we're buying all across the country, we've got to be very good on our due diligence. So we're you know, double checking property values. I mean, we don't often get inside the property. So we've got to do a lot of due diligence on the borrower, you know, call the utility, you know, are the utilities on, talk to realtors to do drive-bys, take photos, maybe even door knock for the borrower, checking the taxes. You know, occasionally we'll get people that will go in and trash a house. They go, you know, screw you guys, we're going to trash it. And that's fine. That's why we have insurance in the property. So if they do that, we get paid. Being the bank and buying a first lien, that's the only, you know, that's all we buy is first liens, senior liens. We have all the same rights as the bank does. So that's a beautiful thing is that we've got a lot of flexibility. So I will, a lot of times we'll approach the borrowers that maybe they don't want to modify, but we'll give them cash to walk. We'll incentivize them, hey, not to trash the property. Hey, here's three grand, here's five grand, here's 10 grand. You walk and just sign the property over to us and go away. Now, there are things that have happened especially when you have realtors that don't do drive-bys, they took old photos. So you'll see that maybe a property is not exactly right value-wise. And some people have bought assets where they didn't check the taxes and it may have gone to tax foreclosure. But it's one of the big three things we always look at. But it all comes down to our due diligence. And we're very strict. We've got a, like a 17-page due diligence checklist that we do. We've got a network of investors and realtors across the country. So we're always putting eyes on the property. Now, I, I can't jump in a plane and fly across the country if I'm going to buy 30 assets and look at all in, in 30 assets in, in 30 different cities. So that's why we've developed these relationships and be able to do it from wherever I'm at, whether it's here in Austin and I'm buying stuff in Indiana or I'm in Spain and working on a loan mod with a borrower in Illinois. So we've been very good about establishing teams. And a lot of people, I always tell our students and investors out there, like, listen, don't look at to buy in 30 states to start off with. Start off in like one market or two states at the max and really focus on the bigger cities in those markets. You know, occasionally we'll get a borrower that drags the foreclosure out. You know, they say they want to do a loan mod. Well, we allow them to do a loan mod and they don't fall through on that. So that drags it another 90 days. We start the foreclosure process. Maybe they file bankruptcy, which in our case is a good thing. Or they just drag it. I mean, I've been sued by borrowers in federal courts, which have been kicked out. I mean, we try to do the best we can to really empathize with the, with the borrowers. You know, hey, everybody's been there. What's the situation? Let's really try to create a win-win. But unfortunately, not every borrower is willing to come to the table and meet you halfway. Right. So once you developed these systems and these processes and you really became a, a master and an expert in this particular space, talk to me a little bit about the entrepreneurial path. How did you build this into a business? How did you build the educational part of it for the students? And what was that path like for you from there? Kind of a funny thing. So I started doing this as what, you know, started buying notes when a lot of people would say it would be the worst time to be a real estate investor because the market was tanking. A lot of people were losing their shirt on stuff. A lot of people were going through short sales and foreclosures just because of the, the, the dramatic things going on in the market. 
I was the same thing. I had some fix and flip homes that I had to write big checks on to walk away from. But what I started doing is I was getting these lists in from banks and assets. I started doing my own due diligence on them, you know, pulling photos, checking their rent rates. And I just started sharing it online, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, this is back, you know, 10, 10 years ago. So not everything was, you know, Instagram wasn't around. Twitter, I don't think was even around yet. YouTube was barely around for the most part. But I just started sharing things that I was doing. And then I would re- reach out to my database of investors that I met while traveling the country and just send an email. Like, hey, here's a deal that I'm working on this week. Anybody interested? Here's a deal that I'm working on this week. And uh, I had a friend of mine who was speaking at a real estate conference at the time with a couple other guys out of Tampa that were doing stuff on short sales and note buying or trying to get into that. And they heard about me. So they asked me to come out and speak and flew me out there, put me up. And I you know, spoke for an hour, hour and a half on the deals we were doing. And I just got bombarded. People were like, can you teach me? And I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, do you have a class? I'm like, uh, sure I do. You know, I just really pulled it out of my ass that I had a class. So sometimes that's the mother of all innovation, having to create something that's already, you know, people are interested in. So that's what I did. I started, I offered a class and we had, I think I had 18 people sign up for that class. I like charging like 250 bucks. They came out, they all bought assets. And we just kind of went from that point on. Uh, my big goal is always to buy assets first. That's you've got to be able, you've got to be in the trenches to really know this business. And you can't just talk the talk. You really have to walk it. Um, and that's what we've always done is focus on buying assets. We, I buy a couple hundred assets every year for our own portfolio. We trade a lot. And we just, I'm a big believer, Matt, that if you give somebody the tools and the knowledge, if they're really hungry, they'll go out and do it. And so that's the, kind of the, my approach to my speaking and my education side is just to really give people good knowledge good information. I mean, that's all we've got about a thousand different videos on YouTube and Vimeo that go through different things. We do a lot of online coaching calls and because Austin here in Austin, Austin's a great market. I love Austin. Great city. You've been here before South by Southwest ACL, just a great environment, but it's a very hot housing market the last 10 years. So I don't see a lot of debt here locally. You might bought some, but I just don't see the same discounts that I would buy in Ohio and Michigan. So that was one of the things that helped me grow was by having a larger idea of my audience base being the, the United States, not just Austin, Texas. And so that helped because I had a bigger, bigger audience. And we just started sharing. We used the Facebook, LinkedIn, emails out regularly, videos every week. And those were kind of our, my four big staples, or I guess you could say legs to my marketing table to help me grow my entrepreneurship and my speaking and, and becoming an expert in my field. Yeah. I really like what you said, Scott, about identifying demand before you built the product or the service, basically, right? You had people that were asking you and basically saying, we're willing to pay for this. Can you create this for us? If you can, we'll buy it, right? And so then you you know, you know, built something to cater to the demand that you saw that was pre-existing. I think that's always the, the smartest way to do it is identify what the market wants to buy and then create it and sell it to them. And, and then you already know you have your, your built-in buyer base there. So I think that's really a smart way to do it. And then from there, can you talk about how you actually built and scaled the business up in terms of the different pieces that came together, hiring team members and, and, and scaling up and developing your marketing campaigns and that sort of thing. So here's a funny story. So in 2010, I'd been teaching for a little while, about a year, had some classes. And you know, I had a business partner at the time. We went our separate ways. I'd, been, I'd gotten divorced because of all everything going on in 2008 and 2009. So I'm sitting here in Austin watching TV one night, and I don't remember those Visa credit card commercials, you know, hot dog, $5, beer, $8, traveling the country to see all the major league baseball parks where they've sun priceless. And I'm a huge baseball fan. Okay, this was like first part of March of that year. 
And I said, well, what would it be like if I just jumped in my truck and I drove around the country to see all Major League Baseball teams? You know, that would be really fun. What would it look like? And so I sit there, I get up, I jump on ESPN.com. I start looking at baseball schedules. I draw this kind of map across the country. I say it would take me about 30 weeks of traveling to hit all the Major League Baseball parks. And I literally planned it all out. I wrote it all down here. This, this day I'd be in New York. And I could catch the Mets one day and catch the Yankees the next. And I just put that out there. Hey, I'd love to do this. And it's weird how things happen, all right? Within the next two weeks, I had five real estate investment clubs reach out to me because of the videos they saw and saw some of the blogs that I was posting. They asked me if I would come speak to their real estate club in their cities across the country. And I go, yeah, when would you want me to do it? And they gave me the dates, and I pull out this, you know, mythical baseball trip, and it matched up perfectly. You know, like, oh, Houston wanted me to come, like, the second weekend of April, which would have been right perfect when the Astros are playing. Uh, somebody in Tampa wanted me to come there when the Rays are at home for a homestand. Somebody wanted to come in Baltimore when the Orioles are at home. And so it was just literally like the hair. You can't see but the hair standing on my neck every time I tell the story. Divine intervention. So that's what I did. I said, OK, let's do it. So I sold everything here in Austin. I sold my house. I sold everything in the house. You know, the fixtures. I had like enough stuff to go in one self-storage. And me and my dog jumped in my truck and we headed out. And what we thought would be 30 weeks of just traveling around the country Speaking and, and talking to people and seeing baseball games turned into three and a half plus years of travel, basically nonstop. And that really built, it was like a grassroots campaign, I would say, as I'm not speaking at real estate clubs, I'm meeting local investors, I'm teaching people in their classes and building really my local due diligence network. So if I had a deal in um, you know Flint, Michigan, I had somebody I could call and they could go drive by and either A, help me out with a deal on it, either take it down for me, I could wholesale it or sell it to them, or they would help me if I bought the note, they would help me in the workouts. So it, it was a really unique thing of this three years of travel. I made so many relationships. I built a huge database of vendors and people and just great time all the way along. I mean, I came back about 50 pounds heavier from drinking Crown Royal and, and eating a lot of hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but well worth it. I mean, that's the thing people don't realize. We get so geographic targeted like I, I can only buy stuff in my backyard and i'm like no it's the 21st century i mean you've got google we've got meetup.com you can jump on trulia and there's so many of these great resources now that you can be location independent and still do real estate or still do what you're doing from anywhere in the country or in the world because i we travel i'm not married but have you know we've got my my significant other she and i travel quite a bit and we take a big European vacation every summer, go over for three weeks or four weeks, and I'll be negotiating with my team or my vendors on a deal via text message or via Facebook Messenger. And if I need to, I can jump on the phone and talk to them for a minute, or I can jump on a, you know, this with Zoom and do a webinar with them really fast to, to talk while I'm traveling. So it's just a, it's a beautiful thing these days versus how it was over a decade ago. Yeah. I mean, I love what you're saying about in the real estate investing game, like being in the note game, being able to be geographically agnostic and being able to identify the best deals, whether or not they're near your personal geographic location, I think is really significant. So we and Ma we at Maverick Investor Group have been doing the exact same thing, you know, helping our clients by performing turnkey cash flowing rental properties to own and hold in the best US real estate markets, regardless of where they live. And the reality is, that those best markets change over time, right? So, you know, 10 years ago, the best, most advantageous markets to buy in are very different than they are today. And so smart real estate investors, 
you know, are able to identify the best markets and to buy in those markets, whether or not they live near them. So I, I agree with that philosophy 100%. And I love that you talked about how you grinded in person on the ground for three years, building those relationships, building those networks, meeting those people. I mean, you know, we do the same thing. I mean, with all the different markets and the companies that source you know, turnkey rental properties, you know, through us to our buyers. I mean, we're, we've been to all those markets and know all those people and have walked all their properties and seen their operation, all that kind of stuff. And I think those, uh, you know, those on the ground relationships are really important to establish. But what I really, really, really like about your journey, Scott, is that you then made a decision that you did not want to be geographically restricted yourself and you wanted to build a location independent infrastructure that you could run your company that allows you to go to Europe for a month or go travel the world or go do these different things. Can you talk a little bit about that particularly, um, you know, your, your choice and your vision for that and then how you actually executed that? So I just simply, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I'll tell you that right now, but I will outwork anybody and I'm not afraid to ask questions. So I just started reaching out to people in different markets. Like I would, you know, I talked to people who were buying in different areas and I talked to other investors that were doing stuff in multiple states, you know, turnkey providers like yourself. And I said, hey, what are you doing? And, and so I was traveling. I made friends with those people, took them to dinner, took them to a game or something like that. And you just, you know, really broke bread with them and was glad to, you know, hey, how can I help you? Or if, you've, if you're doing in other cities, hey, maybe you need to talk to this person. Or even re- I would refer business to them like, hey, have an investor come to me and say, hey, you're not a fit for what we're doing, but hey, call call Matt over here. He's got stuff in this city or this state that you're looking for. And so it was just really kind of a symbiotic back and forth referral network. A lot of it, a lot of the time that way. But I started realizing that, you know, if you're using video, I can remember just sitting in an event. I went to a conference one time and the shark tank, Kevin Harrington was speaking, talking about video and all the things rolling down. And it's become even more important today. So that's why I started doing all these coaching calls, webinars on my specific topic, a little nugget here every Monday night, you know, here's another topic this Monday night. And that helped not only attract other people, but really put a lot of infrastructure in place and also put that stuff online on YouTube. So then it started people, instead of me having to reach out to them, a lot of people started coming to me as well. And that, I think a lot of people are afraid to put stuff out online because they think they're going to look like an idiot or that, oh my God, it's going to make me look fat or my hair's not going to be perfect. And I think you have to get over that and realize, hey, if, you're, if you've got knowledge on something, people are coming to you for that knowledge, what's between the, your two ears. There are realtors in every market. There's mortgage brokers in every market. There's investors in every market. There's you know, buyers in every market. And the only and with the use of technology, the, the really the only hurdle to doing stuff in uh, location independent is, if you're, is your fear about jumping online. It's like anything else. You got to just get out there. You got to give it a try. I always like to tell people like, hey, start an hour away from me or start or move to two hours away. I mean, I'm very lucky here in Austin, Texas. We're in the middle of the country. I'm about a two and a half hour flight on Southwest from just about 90% of the country if I need to. So just be smart, reach out. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I'm a big fan of, of meetup.com because you can find real estate clubs just about anywhere in the country via that. That's a huge source for people looking in other areas. And oftentimes those guys or gals that run those clubs will know the turnkey providers. They'll know the good attorneys or the good realtors that can really help you out. And, uh, you know, they're investor friendly as well. So that's a huge, huge source of for people who are scared initially to go out and do it themselves. Hey, go find a local real estate club and talk to the presence and the people actually closing deals in those markets. And that'll that'll save you so much time and money and effort. And it'll be rocking and rolling with the best in the area. Awesome advice. 
Can you talk a little bit about in terms of running a business? You're the CEO of the company. Can you talk a little bit about your leadership style and the way that you manage and the way that you sort of operationally are able to run your company in general, but also remotely when you're out of the country, for example? That's a really great question. So I think most entrepreneurs are control freaks. <laughs> it's, it's been an evolving thing. I, I will tell you this. I'm, I've been very blessed that I've got had really good people. I, and that's why I say one of my biggest advisors early on told me, be long to hire and quick to fire. All right. And this has been coming handy over and over again. You know, make sure you're really hiring good people. And if you trust your gut, trust your gut. I don't care what it looks like on a resume or what it, trust your gut. That's your, that's what God gave us a sixth in, instinct there and sixth sense. And so that's the, the best thing I can tell you. Trust your gut. If you like a person, great. But you want to make sure and hire the person for that position. Don't hire somebody who's exactly like you. You want to hire somebody who's going to fit that position and maybe completely total opposite. They may be an introvert where you're an extrovert. They may be really detail-oriented when you're not. And so I'm pretty, with my staff, I'm pretty hands-off. I mean, I've got a, a girl who works here in the office, is my full-time marketing. I'm in her office maybe 10 to 15 minutes a day, a few minutes in the morning, talking with her a couple minutes in the afternoon. She's really great about doing it. I mean, half the time she works from home, and I'm completely fine with it. I have a, another person who I hired really good from a servicing company who does a lot of my, my uh, borrower outreach. She works in, from New Jersey. You know, she actually used to manage my portfolio or part of my portfolio for a big servicing company. She's getting ready to leave that company. And I was like, whoa, 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 what do I need to do to hire you? What Come to work for me. And, you know, we gave her a raise of what she was getting. But you, I use VAs. I'm a big fan of virtual assistants. But most people, how they get it wrong with, with working with somebody who's either remotely or a virtual assistant is they don't take the time to teach that person or coach that person. You've got, if you're going to hire somebody, you know, that's where most of the money is spent these days is on, on training. And you got to read the more you can spend with somebody in training, the better they're going to be. And then I also use like Zoom or videos to record short videos so that if I do have to retrain somebody on it, I don't have to spend the time with it. They can just watch the videos and go from there. And then if I hire somebody and then hire somebody else as well, the person that I just trained turns around and trains the person that I just hired. So I'm freed up to do what I need to do uh, and spend the time on the the most important things that I need to get done. Of. So I'm pretty, pretty hands-offy. I mean, I, I give my team permission to make mistakes. I, I want them to go out and do some things. Oftentimes they exceed, well, actually most of the time they exceed my expectations because I've spent time with them. I trust them. I tell them what I'm looking for a lot in the front end. Um, we spend a lot of time with them, you know, initially, so they have a feel of what I'm looking for. I have an open door policy where there's, you know, no stupid questions, if I'm doing something, they come in, I stop exactly what I'm doing. And I listen to what their needs are. And you have to realize, too, as you're hiring people, people have different motivations. Like Shannon, who works in my office, she's not a real estate investor. She loves the marketing side. She's very quiet, introverted, but she's got a great mind when it comes to seeing things and creating infographics and working on our videos and our websites and things like that. So she's great because, you know, she'll go do it and knock it out and often do it better than I, I can. But I give her that room. I don't have to hover over her. I don't have to be a micromanager. I hate that. I, I'm not a big fan of that. And I always tell my employees, like, listen, come in. You'll work here for a while. If you see something that you think will be good, starting off, I give them a $100 budget. Hey, if you buy, see something that makes sense, $100. When you get, get here for six months, it bumps up to $500. Bucks. They, they've been here for a year, 1000 bucks. If they think something will be valuable, a tool, because they're my eyes and ears for things that I'm not into anymore. And that's an important thing for me. If they see a tool or, or want to run with an idea, I'm all for it because that 
that invest gets them invested in the company. That gets them invested in doing some things. And that's a really become they become a very valuable asset that I'm, I'm lucky. I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes, sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. To have, by them doing a good job, it makes me look good, it makes the company look good. Awesome. I want to ask you a little bit more about your marketing strategy. I know that marketing is one of the areas that you are known for. You speak on that topic uh, and you've obviously been very successful in building your company with marketing campaigns. Can you talk a little bit about what is your company's marketing strategy? And right now, as of this year, what types of marketing campaigns and techniques are working particularly well? What types of tips might you have for people? Good. Oh, we do. We have another hour. (laughs) (laughs) So we coined the term uh, marketing octagon here. And when you look at all the different social media videos and LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, it can be very overwhelming with all the noise out there. And so one of the big things that we teach our students and that we focus on is something called this marketing octagon. You can take one thing and repurpose it seven, eight, nine times. You don't have to go out and recreate something new. You just tweak it a little bit. So I'll give you an example. If we're buying a uh, note on, a, on a, a property, we get a good photo of the property. And then I'll do, or one of my staff will do a short you know, deal video, two to five minutes. I might just pull their smartphone out and share it online. And now that picture becomes the thumbnail for that, that video. That video, two to five minutes, very short, but it's valuable on YouTube. We'll throw it on YouTube. We'll post it to Facebook. We'll also take that video and get it transcribed. And that becomes a blog. We'll throw that blog on LinkedIn and with the video and then the picture. So it all builds together and we're sharing it across the web, as I can say. And as a spider, as I like to say, I don't want a small web. I want a big web. So we take one thing and then we basically share it everywhere. And with the use of like Hootsuite or Buffer.com, or um, a couple other tools that I use like repurpose.io or liveleap.net with our videos, I can share those automatically across different platforms and groups. So we use a lot of great tools to take one piece of content and share it everywhere because you you never know where your audience is going to be. And while my audience is primarily somewhere between 35 and 65, college-educated homeowner making 75 to 250 a year and interested in real estate, they're not all on Instagram. They're not all on Facebook. And so we go where they're at and we expect, okay, let's just post post this everywhere. If we find somebody new, great, but we want to get it out because there's a a stat about sales that 80% of sales are made after the fifth contact. And so that's the thing, the fifth contact, Facebook, LinkedIn, email blast, video, you you want to start really getting out in front of people because you never know where they're spending their time and where their eyes and ears and and, and what they're listening to. So that's why we have the podcast now too, so really well. 
But that's why I tell people, don't just take one picture and post it to Facebook, post it everywhere. And I had a lady last night, I was talking, she's like, I don't have an Instagram account. I don't have a LinkedIn account. I'm like, well, great, start one. You know, just start. You choosing not to take advantage of something is you guaranteeing failure. You know, the only thing you guarantee by not trying is failure. And everybody starts off putting their pants on in the morning or their underwear on one leg at a time. you got to start somewhere. I was branding with different things. But that's one of the most important keys I can tell everybody out there listening. It doesn't matter if you're in real estate or tiddlywinks or whatever it is. We're not in that specific field. Everybody out there is now a media company. We're all a marketing company. We're all trying to find buyers, find clients, whatever we're trying to do. We're all in the media. And if you're choosing not to embrace that, you're really going to get left behind here very quickly because somebody out there is going to be doing it and they're going to be taking that market share away from you very quickly. Can you talk a little bit about the podcast now, the Note Closers show? When did you start it? Why did you start it? And talk a little bit about the format and then how the podcast has been performing for you. Yeah, it's, it's really just blown me away, Matt, on what we've done. So I'll go back to Kevin Harrington another time. I heard him at another event back in uh, late October of 2016. He was like, you got to be doing video. You got to be doing video when Facebook Lives are out. And so I was like, okay. You know, I'm a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk, like a lot of people are. And I saw him doing daily videos. I was like, okay, let's do that. So we started just doing short, like fly in the wall, a day in the life. What are we working on? That's what we called it the Note Closer Show in uh, November 1st, 2016. They were just short Facebook lives, like a nugget of the day, you know. And we did that for like 140 episodes. And I've been doing Monday night videos online for years since 2011 that we were showing up on YouTube. And I had a buddy of mine come in, hey, why don't you start a podcast? I'm like, nah, I don't want to do all that extra editing. I'm a one-take guy for the most part. If I, I screw up, whoopee-doo. It just makes me look like a normal person. And I had some uh, a couple of buddies of mine started a podcast that were doing well with it. And I was like, hey, good for them. Awesome. And then they came and told me they were going to stop doing their podcast for two years. I'm like, what? That's stupid. You've done such a good job. Why? And they were just going, you know, they just got pod fade. And I said, okay, we're going to go ahead and do this. So I reached back out to my buddy and said, okay, what do I got to do to do a podcast? And he goes, well, if you, if you want to record your episodes with Zoom, go ahead and do that, which was, I was already doing. So I was like, oh, I don't have to do any extra work. So let's do it. So on uh, August 20th, the first true episode of the Note Closure Show podcast was launched and we're coming up on celebrating our Second year, we're about to hit our 500th episode because we do them three to five times a week. And we hit, um, we got 350,000 downloads, which is crazy on such a little niche because the riches are in the niches, everybody. My, my real estate show is very focused on the distressed debt space. You know, we do bring on other real estate investors and entrepreneurs and other things, but most of it's all about buying debt and us now dominating that niche and, and just throwing content out there just leads to a ton of great things happening. I mean, we've got investors that come off of it. We've got people that sign up for our workshops. You know, I've, I'm being asked to speak at podcasting conventions now because of the success of the show. We got picked up by uh, 17 different AM, FM radio stations across the country. So now we've got uh, a show that goes live um, every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at 9 AM from Tampa to Long Beach. And then we've also... Just, it's just been amazing having people from outside the United States, Israel, London, Spain, New Zealand, people reaching out to talk to us to, to, that are listening to the show and, and just going from there. So, you know, I think podcasting is really the last true facet of uh, free speech, <laughs> uncensored free speech, if you want to have it. But it's such a great way 
to really get what you're doing out to your audience. I think everybody should have a podcast because everybody's got a different take on life and their business and, and things like that. And it's just it's just a, such a, a great thing to whether you're talking or interviewing people or sharing your knowledge. We've all got a message to tell. If you've ever had an opportunity to read uh, a book by Seth Godin called Tribes, we all have a tribe. Everybody's looking for leadership. You just need to start sharing what you know and, and be a true leader out there. Everybody's capable of doing this. And it's, it's a pretty easy thing to do. And absolutely uh, been a game changer for what we're doing in the note business. And after recording almost 500 episodes, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned? What are the top tips that you have? In your opinion, what makes a great podcast? Consistency. <laughs> Being consistent. If you're going to do it once a week, do it once a week. If you're going to be doing it once every two weeks, do it once every two weeks. If you, you miss, your audience is going to go somewhere else. And we found that out when we took about three weeks off last year of traveling. We didn't have a lot of shows that went live. I mean, we did videos with some of our guest hosts we had that run the show, but we didn't get them uploaded. And we saw a big downturn in that. Uh, another thing is actually, I think the more episodes you do, the the more lenient your audience is with you because they know that you're hey you're throwing out content and things like that. But the biggest tip I could tell for people is start. A lot of people overthink this. They think it's difficult. You know, you're in West Africa and I'm in Austin, Texas, and we're recording this. You know, I had somebody from New Thailand have me on their business podcast a few months ago. You don't have to be next door or in the same room to get this thing done. And so it's really easy, whether you're using Zencaster or Zoom or even doing like a Facebook Live and then just, you know, using the audio to go online. It's just an awesome thing. You know, there, I think I saw a statistic that were 650,000 podcasts out there, but only a quarter of those have done an episode in the last 12 months. So a lot of people are coming on and fading off. Just stick with it. Your audience will grow. You just got to be, you got to realize that it's just like anything else. It takes time, stick with it, and it will reap benefits that you will just have never thought of. And that's, we've seen that. I mean, I had somebody that uh, the other day reached out to me who heard me on somebody else's podcast and called me and signed up for my coaching program at 15 grand, which is crazy. You know, off of podcast episode. I have other people that opt into our website that buy assets from us from hearing it. Is whatever your focus is, start a podcast. All right. Because there's plenty of people out there. Don't try to emulate somebody else. Just be yourself, share it. It's like anything, a bit of marketing. It takes some time to build some momentum. But it's really, I think it's the wave of the future for marketing. Really, really a wide open space right now. Good advice. Can you talk a little bit more about your coaching programs and some of the information and courses and things like that that you offer? I mean, I'm, I'm curious both in terms of how that business evolved, but also specifically, you know, what the offering is and how somebody might get involved if they're interested. Yeah. So we, we kind of revolutionized our, our teaching method. I used to, you know, we traveling so much, we would do local workshops and hotels all the time. And I was getting burnt out with that much travel. So we decided just let's let's flip the switch. We did we were gonna do a big uh, hotel event in Houston. We we dropped like 20 grand in marketing and nobody signed up for it. And so I was like, I was really bummed having to write that big check for nothing. Okay. That's not a fun day. And out of that, we decided, hey, why are we doing this? Why are we busting our butt trying to get people on butts in the seats when we've done such a good job of doing webinars and live streaming stuff? So we launched our online workshops. We stopped doing in-person hotel events. And now we live stream our, our live events and do it all via Zoom. We'll have, you know, three three days, four days. Sometimes we'll have up to 30 speakers. We'll have hundreds, uh, sometimes over 1,000 people join us from all across the country. And we're just bringing on speakers that are, are sharing. You know, it's a true virtual event or a virtual class. So that's a big thing we do. 
we took a lot of our great videos and I spent some time going through a lot of in-person short videos on specific nuggets. And we put that in something called our note buying blueprint. And that's our online home study course that people can sign up for. And it really goes, dives in deep. It's a step-by-step process of getting in the note business and due diligence and servicing and, and foreclosures and marketing and raising capital. That's been our, our really great thing. And what's smart is we recorded it in video. We upload it. We edit it occasionally and add some things to it. But it's been an evergreen product for us that has really just paid off well, not only for us, but paid off for a lot of our students who are take it. It's a study at home at their own pace kind of course. And we're, we see so many messages and, and emails and posts about their just having great success in the note business. So, you know, you can go to weclosenotes.com. That's my main website, weclosenotes.com. And you can uh, see all the things that we have available there. Uh, I do have a special thing. If, if somebody's interested, uh, I've got a book, uh, you know, short 73-page book on how to, how to get into the business. If they're interested, if they just go to noteblueprint.com slash free book. They can download that for free. That's noteblueprint.com slash free book. It's an easy read and, uh, you know, gives them some great knowledge to get started in the note industry, kind of what the note industry is all about. Awesome. And we'll link all that stuff up in the show notes. So people can just go to one place at themaverickshow.com and just go to the show notes for this episode. And we'll have all those links right there. You can just click through them. Scott, I also want to now ask you about travel. And I want to start off by asking you a large scale question in terms of what does travel mean to you? What do you get out of it? Why do you travel the world? (laughs) More than anything, it's a chance to recharge. I think so many people, we get so burned, especially here in the United States, we're, you know, get grind, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. If you're constantly doing that, you can really get burnt out when you're burning both ends of the candle. And so travel for me has evolved over the years where it used to be a lot for work where I'd be traveling, you know, 40, 50 weeks a year to now I'm not traveling so much to go to speak at every conference that I can get my hands on. And I, I, I'm very selective on, on where I'm speaking at. And so my travel now is that we pre-book three to four events a year of just travel for us. Uh, we just got back from three and a half weeks uh, of a vacation over in Europe. We took a couple cruises. We hit London and Spain. It, it was just a chance to step away, let my battery charge. But I think it also, especially if you travel abroad, and, and Matt, I'm, I'm sure you probably agree with this, and it gives us an opportunity to see what we really have and how to be grateful for what we've worked so hard for. Because if you're constantly busting your butt and you don't take the time to smell the roses or relax or celebrate life's victories, you're going to miss out. One of my, my fondest memories from my father is something he told me before he passed on. You know, life is all about making memories. You got to make sure and stop and enjoy the moment. If you're constantly working, you're going to miss it out. You know, what's, what's all this hard work for if you can't enjoy it at some point? And so that's what travel really is for me now. It's a chance to get out, experience something new, see what people are doing, recharge my batteries, really kind of relax. And really more than anything else, it allows me to come back with a, a new sense of purpose and, and new energy, new focus to really tackle what's going on in the markets or take our business to the next level. And how do you select the locations where you choose to go travel? What types of things are appealing or interesting to you? So when you're going to pick your next you know, few trips or so, what types of things do you look for when you select the itinerary? Where Stephanie, wherever Stephanie wants to go. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, man. That's a good answer. You can just leave it there, man. You can just leave it there if you want. <laughs> I, I like going to a place. Stephanie... Bless her heart, is a big, huge fan of Disney. And she worked at Disney and so loved going there. When we first met, she was a big Disney. She still is a big Disney fan. But I'm like, I don't like going the same place over and over and over again. I've been there. I've seen the rides. Whoopie-doo. The Eiffel Tower and Epcot's okay, but the real thing is even more awesome. And so 
that's the thing is just it's just checking off places, you know, countries. I like the Caribbean. I like we both love jumping on cruises. So that helps us if we can you know, find a cruise itinerary where it's in different places we've never been. That's something we're going to do. I mean, pre booked a cruise to uh, to Greece next year. We've got a cruise booked for Halloween because Steph is a big Halloween fan. She wants to be on a Disney boat for the Halloween. So, you know, happy. We're not married, but happy wife, happy life for everybody out there. <laughs> awesome, man. All right, Scott, at this point, are you ready for the lightning round? Hit me, baby. Hit me hard. Let's go. The lightning round. All right. What is one book that has significantly influenced you that you'd most recommend to people? This is an easy question. Outwitting the Devil. It was written by Napoleon Hill back in 1938, never released. Don Green, who's the CEO of the Napoleon Hill Foundation, found this book a few years ago in his filing cabinet, took it to Mrs. Hill, who's still alive. And she told him that, say, yes, Napoleon wrote this book, but based on the topic, I didn't want him to release it back then because she thought it too controversial. And the book is about... Basically, Napoleon Hill sitting down and having a conversation with the devil of what makes the devil so successful. And it, the main theme in the book is the devil gets people to drift where they aren't focused. They get started and a, a, you know, a squirrel shows up and they go off on a shiny object syndrome. And that's what the book really is about is the way to out with the devil is just to be focused, stick to one lane. And Sharon Lecter, who is a co-author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and is a friend of mine, is friends with Don Green. And Don Green approached her to either rewrite the book or re-release it. And so she sat down, read this manuscript, and then she probably got it published, but only added insights to what she thought Napoleon Hill would think of in today's world. Left the book exactly as it was, how he wrote it, but added these things to it. And it's an amazing book. We probably give 100 copies of this books away each year because it's such a valuable book. And that's one of the biggest things I can tell those people listening to. Be focused. If you find yourself pulled in different directions and doing multiple things, you're not going to have nearly the amount of success and be as effective, not only in your world, but the world around you by being able to give back more. So be focused, avoid drifting, and that's the way to outwit the devil. Awesome. We're going to link that up in the show notes for sure. Scott, what is one app or productivity tool that you're currently using that you'd recommend? Um, wow, there's so many. I would say Calendly, the app Calendly. If you've, if you've got a schedule you're trying to keep, the more you can be organized with your schedule and block things out. So it's going to make you a lot more effective in, in your day-to-day activity. So Calendly, I would say everybody is free. You know, block You can have multiple calendars on Calendly. Like I've got a, a schedule for my podcast booking. I have a schedule for 30-minute phone calls. I've got a schedule for an upcoming event down to the hour. So the more you can book your calendar and time block things or set aside specific booking appointments, it's been a life changer for me being much more focused and organized, being able to go to one spot and see what I've got going for that day when I log in when I walk in the office or before I leave the office. night, so Calendly, it's free, great tool to use. And it's one thing I absolutely love. Awesome. If you could have dinner with any one person that's currently alive today that you've never met, could be celebrity, author, public figure, sports star, whomever, who would you choose and why? Wow, that's a good one. They were passed away, I say Abraham Lincoln, because I was a huge fan of him growing up. But alive today, I would say Matthew McConaughey. Hey. <laughs> Interesting choice. You know, he's a local Austin native and a Longhorns fan. I've actually met him before when he was quite intoxicated at a bar when I was growing up in college. It's just amazing to see that guy's evolved. And if you've ever watched his Emmy or Academy Award speech about the hero he chases is himself 10 years from now, he's just evolved in the last 15 to 20 years. And so I think that would be be a fun a fun hour, hour and a half, two hours at night, uh, sitting down and having a few adult beverages and just in shooting the breeze with Matthew McConaughey. Hey, hey. 
<laughs> that would be an amazing dinner. I think that's a really good pick. Awesome. All right. What is one podcast that you listen to other than your own that you would most recommend to people? Oh my gosh. This one for sure. This is a great event. If you're listening, hey, go to iTunes, hit the subscribe and leave Matt a five-star review. There's one that I really like. Uh, my buddies, uh, Joe Fear and Matt Wolf have a podcast called Hustle and Flowchart. A couple guys out of San Diego that do a lot with uh, digital marketing and uh, affiliates and, and, and testing out new softwares and different uh, effective tools. That's a big one that I'm a huge fan of. Those guys do a great job. Roland Frazier, who's a, a principal and digital marketer, has a new podcast called Business Lunch. That's just relatively new. Really great podcast. It's really skyrocketing. He had Sir Richard Branson on one of his first episodes. And Roland's just a, a marketing genius as well. So I was actually in the audience live when Roland interviewed Richard Branson earlier this year in San Diego at the uh, Traffic and Conversion Summit. That was a pretty epic interview. So was I, man. So was I. <laughs> man, our, our paths cross quite a bit, my man. This is uh, this is crazy. We had to wait until I was in West Africa to do this interview. <laughs> All right, man. Last few questions here. I got to pull a couple out just for you, Scott, in particular. Okay. And I got to give you the opportunity to, to give this answer. Who is your favorite sports team? Who's my favorite sports team? So being in Austin, Texas, I'm a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. My favorite sports team, baseball, Minnesota Twins. Okay. And who is your favorite athlete of all time ever? Professional athlete. Favorite athlete of all time. Man, it's uh, Nolan Ryan. Man, I he, growing up, he was a hero of mine and you know, great pitcher and absolutely just a great gentleman as well, too. I've had the opportunity to meet him a couple times and, and hang out with him uh, here in Texas because his sons run the minor league baseball teams and in Houston. Nolan Ryan, just an absolute amazing individual. Awesome. Okay. We're going to close it out with two travel questions. The first one is, what are your top three travel destinations, favorite places you've ever been in your life that you'd most recommend? Top three. Man, if you can make it to St. Kitts and Nevis in the Caribbean, that's a great place. The Four Seasons Resort on Nevis is just outstanding and just beautiful and just a great way to unwind. I'm a huge fan. Also, the uh, the catacombs in Rome, the under under the ground catacombs, was one of the most interesting places I've been to. Just the history behind that area. I mean, the Colosseum. You make it to Rome for anything. Rome's amazing. It's one of my favorite places there. And then I would say the third place. Man, I was just talking with somebody the other night about this. Is Barcelona? Is I think one of the coolest cities to go to to hang out. Just an absolutely amazing place. The food. Oh my God, the food, the wine, the nightlife. Gotta love Barcelona, man. Great place in Barcelona. Agreed. I've spent many months in Barcelona myself. Totally agreed. Those are great. Those are great picks, man. All right. Last question. Scott, what are your top three bucket list destinations, places you've never been that are the highest on your list you'd most love to go see? Uh, one's going to be Australia. I want to get down to Australia. I once had a trip booked for there for three weeks in Australia, and then I, wasn't, I had to cancel it. So Australia is one. Uh, I want to go to Japan, number two. And then number three is going to end up being Russia, Moscow, Russia. That's awesome, man. I'm going to Russia in two months. Really? We're taking you there, man. Come meet me, brother. I'm doing, I'm doing a week in St. Petersburg, a week in Moscow, and then I'm taking the Trans-Siberian Railway from Moscow all across Siberia to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. I'm going to check my schedule. <laughs> Come join, man. <laughs> That's amazing. I got a 30-day visa for Russia. I'm going to use all 30 days. Yeah, man. Hit me up if you want to roll, brother. I'll give you details. Uh, I, I got to look at my schedule. We got a couple of events coming up, but <laughs> but definitely, man. That's that's all. We got to do that. I think it is. 
there's a group of us out there that just say, hey, let's all meet here for a week somewhere exotic, somewhere cool like that. That's how we roll, man. Awesome. Well, Scott, this has been amazing having you on the show, brother. So glad we finally nailed the interview down. Tell people how they can get a hold of you, how they can follow you on social media, learn more about what you're up to. And tell folks also, I mean, for people that are really compelled now and interested in this whole note investing thing, what is the first step for somebody to get involved and take the next step towards uh, learning more about note investing? So best way to find me is on our website, weclosenotes.com. You can find everything there. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or Facebook, just looking for at one Scott Carson. And the best way to get started more than anything else, I'd say is just start learning. Education is so key. The note business is so much different from fixing, flipping homes and, and landlording. It's your bank mentality. It's a whole different mentality. So going to our YouTube channel, um, youtube.com slash we close notes. And we've got hundreds and hundreds of videos on there on different topics and nuggets when it comes to the note business. We have our podcast episodes are live streamed and saved there as well. So that'd be the, the good place. Subscribe there. Love to have you subscribe to our YouTube channel. But if you want to get started, go there. Feel free to drop me an email, scott at weclosenotes.com. And be glad to schedule, you know, 15 to 30 minutes with you just kind of see what your goals and your background and, and help you along the way any way I can. Awesome. We're going to link all that up in the show notes, including your contact information, your social media handles, and uh, all that stuff on how to get a hold of you, as well as your recommendations and all the other stuff we talked about at themaverickshow.com. You can get it all in the show notes there in one place. Scott, thank you so much for being here, my man. It was a blast. Hey, man. Thanks so much, brother. Be safe, and uh, I'll have a, a good bottle of Cabernet Merlot for you when you get back stateside. Looking forward to it, brother. Have a good one. Take care. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Would you like to get Maverick Investor Group's white paper on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes real estate investors are making in today's market? Just go to themaverickshow.com slash avoid mistakes. The report is totally free and available for you now at themaverickshow.com forward slash avoid mistakes. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you by cash flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber to get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals. Schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult.